I <laughs> stop talking, MJ. <laughs> So I went to go, go, I first went to my fridge and I remember I just got back in town Saturday and from working on my car. And so my body is sore all over and I look into my fridge. I was like, oh yeah, I've been out of town for two fucking weeks. I have no eggs. I got, I have no potatoes. You know, I have like a half an onion and, and um, some avocados and some toast. I'm just like, that does not make a full MJ breakfast. So, you know, I, I had to splurge and go out and get Burger King. That, that makes a breakfast for most human beings, but not an MJ breakfast. Right, That's, right, right. That's not an MJ breakfast. So make... I, 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 I went and got uh, four breakfast sandwiches and two, two uh, hash browns and or tater tater tot thingies and and uh, coffee and orange juice. Yeah, if you guys have never seen MJ eat, it is a it is a it is a thing. Um, <laughs> Very much so. So, so you, that's MJ. MJ's back. Welcome back, MJ. Uh, and we also have Dan on the podcast. Dan, how are you doing? Doing pretty well. Uh, definitely needed the, uh, the long weekend, so it came at an opportune time for me. And we're recording early. We're recording at uh, 10 o'clock on, on Monday morning. Um, so no one's drinking. We're all drinking coffee and, and just generally being respectful, respectful adults, uh, adulting on a Monday, so... The only thing There's is, whiskey in that coffee, isn't there? There is not. I, I swear, not yet, at least. Let's talk about David. Is, I would say that it's been shown that with driving, people who drive very sleepy show the same uh, attributes uh, as those that drive drunk. And um, even though that I'm talking very rapidly because I'm hyped up on co- coffee right now, um, I am not that awake. So if, if you see um, some sort of signs of me drooping off or uh, slurring my speech. Don't be surprised. All right. Well, guys, if you, uh, um, we're dropping some Patreon content this month. Uh, if you're not a member of the Patreon and now is a really good time to jump on, we're going to be recording our EPL preview podcast. I'll go out later this afternoon for Patreon folks, uh, first glance, um, for about a week. And then, uh, we're actually doing our, finally our famed, been long time coming victory podcast. Me, uh, Luke Craig and David Martin, we're going to jump on and talk about the movie Victory, the greatest uh, sports movie of all time. In my opinion, <laughs> the greatest movie of all time. Uh, <laughs> I have to say about it. So we're gonna we're gonna have that discussion. That'll be later this week. So uh, Patreon.com uh, slash the days I know. Starting at three bucks a month, you can get all the awesome content. Um, again, we're and we're chatting with Christian about getting some beer going here, and that's gonna be happening really soon as well. So Patreon.com slash the days I know. Um, all right. So let's we're gonna do. Here's our here's our our 
preview. We're going to talk about Houston very quickly. We're going to talk about RSL, a little game last night, um, which is much more fresher in our minds and a much, uh, much happier thing to talk about. But we definitely need to talk about Houston. Uh, and then we are going to jump into uh, talk about the week upcoming. We have two matches this week, FC Dallas on Wednesday at home and then away to Sporting Kansas City, I believe, uh, next Sunday as well. So we're not going to give you the, the typical preview of those matches, but we're going to talk a little bit more generally about what we like to see um, and what we expect to see, especially considering the last two matches of this week. But let's start off with the, with the downer of the week, Houston Dynamo 3, Minnesota United 0, and it was uh that's that scoreline is flattering to minnesota united so uh <laughs> that <laughs> sounds about right right yeah i'm not making that up um uh, all right so let's briefly talk about um this game uh mj why don't you take us through the first half so at the 10th minute saren misses a back pass to vera and by missing that back pass he feeds toy straight up the middle it was a the most amazing, you know, Grey Goosh could not hit that pass up the middle of the toy, but Houston Dynamo midfielder can definitely do that. And then he beats two uh, very slow center backs in Struna and Figueroa, uh, Figueroa and forces um, Marco Monic to make a pretty de decent save. Then in the 25th minute, uh, Grey Goosh is pressured. He turns the ball over to Christian Ramirez and forces Rajan Singh to make a really, really good save. Then the only goal from the first half in the 28th minute, uh, Darwin Quintero get, gets the ball from a great uh, lateral pass from uh, Memo Rodriguez, and he slots that away to put uh, Houston 1-0 one, one up at half. Yeah. That 10th that, uh, minute toy um, chance was probably our only, our only decent chance of that game. That's how bad, that's how bad this game was. And that... Uh, that goal from DQ was definitely uh, the defense just absolutely collapsing upon itself, 2017-2018 uh, style. Yeah, Gaspar had definitely gotten sucked in there, but it's a little bit too on the midfield because no one tracked runners, and Gaspar was caught between two guys and just happened to pick the wrong yeah. one. It was that that goal was shambles. It was also vintage Darwin Quintero. It has to be said. Uh, we saw it numerous times when he was with the loons. You know, if he pops up in that position, he's he's either going to force a really good save or he's putting it in. I will say on that, Dan, something different than when you saw with the loons is rather than forcing Darwin to be the central uh, creative person, having him be on the wing, and having someone like uh, Memo Rodriguez uh, be the be the cre the creative uh, dynamo in the, in the center, you know. He, he he just gets the pass and all he has to do is slot at home. I'm not saying he didn't do do some amazing work this game, but you know, le less pressure to to be the like creative central person. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the loons really wanted him to be both a creative force and the finisher, and that's a tough ask of anybody. Um, Houston seems to be far more content to have him do creative stuff or finish, just depending on how they've done the lineup. And I think that's a credit to Tab Ramos not putting too much pressure on one player the flip side is when you have albert elise and memo rodriguez already <laughs> there you can get christian rodriguez at a discount ramirez god sorry it is early christian ramirez at a discount and darwin Quintero. like it helps to have half an attack built because you only have to build half an attack uh nico hansen also looked really good in this game which we'll get to here when the second half report yeah one of two nikos <laughs> uh so speaking of ramirez so ramirez you could definitely tell that both Darwin and Christian Ramirez really, really, really wanted to score on Minnesota and Adrian Heath. And Ramirez, 
an amazing. There were at least three Darwin Quintero passes to Christian that, you know, either Rajat Singh made a really great save or they hit the woodwork. So yeah, this I, I was just going about to talk about the the one in the forty eighth minute of the second half, uh, where yeah, Rajat Singh. I don't know how he made the save on this one, um, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, DQ played a great ball to Ramirez and, and makes a save by Rajat Singh. And, you know, again, Minnesota came out, again, flat. They brought in, um, in the 59th minutes, Heath made three changes. He brought in Toy uh, for Amaria, Lude for Finley, and Edwards for Molino. And the, the attack actually looked somewhat competent for a little bit. And then, of course, it, it was all went to shit real quick. Uh, in the 65th minute, uh, a really great uh, pass from uh, Darwin Sarin, uh and then Albert Elise. Um, opening up uh, Michael Boxall, um, who I don't know what the fuck he was doing. Oh, God. Errol Lasseter puts it, uh, just slots at home. Um, at least, and at least made a really great run uh, on the right-hand side um, uh, and just beat Chase to the end line. It was uh, particularly bad uh, on Chase as well. And then less than five minutes later in the 69th minute, uh, Lasseter gets a, a, his brace, Again, from Elise, uh, creating from the middle of the pitch, which is not normally where he likes to play. He's more of a – he likes to play and, and create more from out wide. But he just uh, um, threads a pass to Lasseter, who, uh, you know, just sort of basically passes it behind Rajat Singh for the third goal. But then in the 71st minute, we actually saw uh, Hairston uh, come on for – or sorry, Hairston leave for Hayes. And Grey Goose, um, who is, you know – had a particularly bad game, and, and we'll talk probably a little bit more about him in the RSL game as well, uh, left the, the pitch for Reynoso. And Reynoso got, you know, his 20-minute or so cameo and looked, um, you know, well, looks like the most creative thing that Minnesota's had in, in ever, possibly. Ever, <laughs> <laughs> sure, ever in, in, ML, in MLS and possibly, the, you know, maybe outside of the, the, the first year or so of Ibsen in the NASL days, the most creative uh, attacker that we've had in this in this lineup. So do you guys have any thoughts on, on any of the other second half stuff? No. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It, it was just, it was so flaccid, right? Like, you know, we, against Dallas, we had seen the team look bad in the first half and then so much better in the second. So it wasn't totally irrational to think, okay, coming out after halftime, like they'll have more energy, maybe make a sub or two. And they looked worse. They just looked absolutely useless. There was, there was at, at no point was Houston seriously concerned about the loon scoring. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. Let's get to our quickly, our Freddie news for this game. And before we jump into RSL, um, MJ for Minnesota, who do you have for our Freddie news? Uh, I have uh, Mason toy going back to like some of our best attacking chances came from, came from toy. And uh, I don't know how many shots he got on, on goal, but there was the one that we talked about. And then uh, for my uh, Freddie Adu worst player of the game, I, I have uh, Michael Boxall. I mean, this is the second game I've, I've seen him just positionally be, be out of position. Like, he's out of position. And when there's a pass to an extra player, he's not aware that player is there. And if you want to defend like a fucking winger, play fucking wing. If you want to be like ball watching, focusing on the ball and a player with the ball and then not be aware that there's a central midfielder that he can shovel it off to, that's fine. You play up there. When you're on the back line, if you're wearing the captain's armband or you're leading that back line, back four, you better be aware of when you have an odd numbered or in some cases an even, you know, a four on two 
and how to best do that. You see him time and time again step up to the ball when there are more players coming at you, and that really, really hoses your goalkeeper. Yeah. Should point out, uh, Ozzy did not play in this game. Uh, neither did Aha. James Musa got the start, and uh, Ozzy was on the was on the bench. So, Dan, who'd you have for for Minnesota? Anything? This is slim pickings. I mean, yeah. the the team just as a whole did not play well. The attack was disconnected, um, kind of bereft of ideas. I agree with MJ that Toy probably looked the best of the bunch. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and give it to Hassani Dotson. Uh, Nobody clothed themselves with glory with game in this game, and I don't think Dotson did either, but he was at least trying. He was scrapping for the ball in the midfield. He was trying to connect the pass, and things just weren't working around him. And Dotson's the type of player where if everybody else isn't working together, and we'll get into this with the RSL game where he looked fantastic because everyone was working together, um, his contribution can kind of go unnoticed, but in a pretty – pretty terrible Minnesota United game. I think Dotson gets my my good and my bad is Kevin Molino. This was the first of, well, not the first. So in the first half against Dallas, the entire game against Houston and the first half of last night's game against RSL, Molino was the most wasteful with the ball we've seen him. Just could not keep possession, trying to do too much uh, and consistently turning the ball over in the attacking third in dangerous positions. So, and I think it was at its head in this Houston game where on the rare opportunity Minnesota had on the attack, Molina was consistently the one giving the ball away. Yep. That's fair. Um, I'm, I'll be very quick. I, you know, I was, I kind of thought Dotson just because I didn't really have anybody else, but you know what? I'm going to give it to James Musa. He, uh, he quitted himself as well and no one scored on him. So purchased <laughs> the other defenders. Uh, and then um, on the other side, I'm going to go chase, um, he got sucked in, as we mentioned uh, in the first uh, first half. He got really sucked in on that D. Kugo. I'm not sure how much is, of that is on him. And again, Dan, as you mentioned, how much of that is on the midfield. But he's got to know that DQ is out there that, uh, and he can't get sucked in like that. And then he gets totally just just his ass handed to him on the second goal by Albert Elise. And to be fair, Albert Elise is a, you know designated player. He's a really really good. We'll talk about him in a, in a second here. Um, but he just you know. Way too much chase, not enough Pedro in this first game. We'll talk about Pedro uh, in a second. So, um, all right, uh, Houston, uh, MJ, who you got for uh, good uh, good Freddie to do and shitty Freddie to do? So for Houston, I have I don't know if you can say ne- best next best player of the game. He's not really like an unknown quantity here, but I'm gonna go with the Honduran uh, designated player Al- Albert uh, Elise. Um, he played phenomenal. Uh, he had two assists to Lassiter um, and really kind of broke down our defense. And for Freddie Adu, worst play of the game, I'm going to go with center back um, Mano Figueroa. Um, I thought he looked very, very slow, um, again, out of position, and we just didn't take advantage of that. Yeah, I MJ hit on the, the negative one for sure. Um, this game was there for Minnesota to to exploit, and they just couldn't do it. So that's particularly disappointing. Uh, my good player of the game, though, was Nico Hansen, who absolutely tortured Chase Gasper for that entire game. Uh, Denmark! Up, Denmark! What up, Denmark? Denmark represent. Uh, 
we've talked about the attack with this team, and it is certainly Houston's calling card, but Hanson's name isn't particularly in the list of players. You're like, well, you got to watch out for Rodriguez and Elise and Ramirez and Quintero and and, 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 and and Nico Hanson, I think, was the real focal point of the attack, for particularly in the second half. Uh, so, yeah, full marks to him. And then the, the game was there. If Minnesota United had had anything resembling an attack, the back line was so slow, and they could have run in past it, and they just flat out didn't, so... Figueroa was a good shout, but uh, his center back partner as well deserves uh, whatever the opposite of plaudits are. Holt? Is that Holt? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna. Yeah, I can't. I can't dispute the, the back line for Houston. If you got to give any uh, shitty Freddie news to somebody, they they definitely they definitely wanted to uh, to allow Minnesota to put some chances in, and we just. We're not happy to oblige. And then I'm going to give it to, you know, we've sort of you talked about all the, you know, all the techniques. Let's talk about uh, the other guy uh, who scored two goals. Uh, Errol Lassiter came in um, and uh, he's been, I think he's been in Costa Rica for the last couple years, if I'm not mistaken. Anyways, he puts two goals in for uh, Houston in the span of about five minutes of work. So um, can't really fault him for that. And that's a, that's a good Freddie to do. So. in uh, correction, uh, Figueroa's partner is Struna. I'm getting my my loons opponents mixed up. But yeah. um, <laughs> the clogged fixture list kills us all, players and podcasters alike. Yeah, don't, don't worry. I've I have stuff to say about Holt here in about probably 15 minutes. So yeah, uh, like like I had him fresh in my memory for obvious reasons. All right. Anything else you want to talk about quickly on the Houston game, or should we jump to the actual good part of the week and RSL? I'm gonna say. You know, I wasn't able to watch the Houston game that closely because I was trying to do it while finishing uh, working on a bicycle for my dad. But I would say that it's easy to look at score lines and judge by the score that we played shitty. And don't get me wrong, we we deserve to lose this game and we could have um, lost it by much worse. But the positives I take out of the Houston game is, one, Heath tried some shit with some subs and some different players. And I think that experimentation is good. And I would have liked to have seen it done earlier in the year, but I think that's, that's a good thing. And we saw some players, you know, like toy, like Asani get good minutes, good time on the ball and, and try some shit. And so I don't want to come away from a three nil loss and just say like, Oh, we all played horrible. Well, they did play horrible, but you know, there's a little bit of a silver lining, just maybe a little bit. Uh, I think to me, the story of this game is the whiplash. Um, it's really <laughs> easy. It's really easy to think of this as the first game of a two game week and not connect it to the FC Dallas game before it. United is coming off probably their worst 45 minutes since 2017. Um, and a resurgent second half where they definitely could have beaten Dallas, but didn't get particularly lucky. So going into this game, there's like very, very concrete reason to believe we're going to look better. And instead they just got molly whopped. And it's, it's so disheartening to see the team. And MJ's point is well taken. There was definitely some rotation, whether that's enforced or, or desired, I think is a little TBD with this weird fixture list. Um, Either way, it's a, it's a, Atypical lineup, there were some things that were working, and most of it just clearly wasn't. But I think not only did they get beat very, very badly, I think there was the additional, like, we had reason to hope that this wasn't going to happen, and then it did. It is, though, worth pointing out that Houston is on an absolute tear. They ripped Sporting Kansas City open once, beat us, and then ripped Sporting Kansas City open again. So 
I think this is a team, they looked pretty bad in the bubble. And now they've come home and they look really good. So this is a screwy season. I think it's hard to track what teams are going to be good and which teams are not. But they're they're extremely credible right now. And so 3-0 loss in Houston, if we look back on it in two months, may seem less bad than it does today. True. They look bad in the bubble. They scored goals. And that's, you know, that was a thing that we just kind of, I mean, we, we just haven't been scoring goals. And, we're, and obviously we remedied that a little bit um, last night. So let's... So let's jump in. Uh, to your point, Dan, the uh, that 90 minutes of looking like crap, um, the first 45 minutes of this game last night did not really give us a, a whole ton of uh, a whole ton of hope that anything was changing. But RSL was equally as shitty in that first 45 <laughs> minutes um, for some godforsaken reason. Um, you know, they're coming. They were coming off of a couple of draws, but they've been scoring goals left and right uh, as well. And yeah, so we, you know, we had a the first forty five minutes was just was just absolutely drab, um, but for uh, you know a particularly uh, egregious uh, refereeing mistake and a uh, clearly <laughs> offside from the naked eye VAR, uh, we would have been down two nothing going into halftime in, in this game. Yeah, you know, in the in the thirteenth minute, uh, Rossi runs middle unmarked and just shoots a. A blast, and Dave St. Clair gets his fingers on it, but then it, it goes over his fingertips, over his head, and then he has to turn around and catch it. And then, if you didn't know that Dave St. Clair does um, hobby uh, magician tricks in his spare time, he pulls the ball down, trying to make it look he's, like he's pulling it straight down, but kind of at an angle, and then he pivots his body in such a way that makes it look like it's never crossed the line. Now, to be fair, the the camera angle we got was not very definitive. It's hard to say whether, you know, at that angle, what looked like was beyond the line was actually beyond the line. But credit to the camera crew and MLS uh, producers in their, you know, uh, fascist uh, dictatorship sense, like, don't show this overhead bird's eye view of this. Don't show the end line, you know, what what maybe the line judge should have seen from the side view. There were no optional views of that replay. And so the ignorance is bliss. The center ref is always right. And MLS gets its way. Yeah, I don't I don't know if that if it's because of their fastest tendencies, although I agree that MLS has fastest tendencies. I just don't think they have those. <laughs> don't ruin my moment here, David. <laughs> Uh, my, my whole MJ Anon, my whole MJ Anon, you know, conspiracy theories need to right. have you can, you can have your own speech space to thrive. You know, you can you can start your own podcast for that, buddy. Um, <laughs> the uh, <clears throat> it was interesting because it, it it certainly looked like that ball was well over the line. Ch- you know, Dane actually looked like he was, like he had stepped over the line when he was pulling that ball down and out. Um, and it was funny because we were at uh, watching the game and and. And I was like, she's like, oh, I'm really glad that VAR isn't, uh, is a, you know, d- doesn't exist in MLS. I was like, the only reason it doesn't exist in MLS is because it's too fucking expensive to put it in in football stadiums like Seattle. So you have, so you have Seattle and, uh, and and Atlanta and places like that to thank for the, for the fact that we do not have uh, goal line technology in uh, in MLS. So, um, sorry, I said VAR, I meant goal line technology. So thank you, Seattle and Atlanta, for playing in shitty football stadiums. That's the reason we don't have goal line technology. That's the reason why Minnesota was up. Uh, was not down one nothing early in this game. RSL fans went full Zapruder film on this, by the way. Like if oh, you yeah. go into, into like RSL Twitter, there's, I mean, 
we're in we're we're in full on back into the left, back into the left, back into the left mode. Um, I, I, did I they have the camera angle out. from the grassy knoll? Uh, no, they're missing that one, and they're missing the target post cam as well. But somebody did like way too much math, and there there is a slight sliver of an angle where it looks like a part of the ball is still over the line, and of course it has to be whole ball, whole line. So it, this goes solidly in the "we'll never know" category. I tend to think the ball was in. I will give Dane St. Clair this. The easiest thing he could have done there was reach back and bat it. Nobody was crashing the net at that point. Rossi would have just run up and scored again. In catching and turning his body, not only did he make it harder for the ref to determine whether it had gone in or not, he didn't give up the rebound. Yeah. So, like, as much as that's a, oh, boy, oh, boy, that was a terrible moment, in that horrible moment, he still made a really good judgment call. Absolutely, absolutely. We're, we're, my question is, were the the RSL fans and Twitter doing too much math or doing too much McMath? <laughs> I think we found out last night that any amount of McMath is too much. <clears throat> That's McMath, <laughs> not only, not ever once. Uh, and and then after just a few more minutes, um, Ozzy Lonzo uh, pulls up, uh, you know, on a clearance. Um, looks like a, a hamstring. Um, I did, we did see him after the match. He was walking. He did have a little bit of a limp, but he's definitely like walking on his own. Um, but it looked like a hamstring. It, it was a non-contact injury, which is always particularly, uh, bad to see. Um, yeah. So he pulls up, uh, lame. Hassani Dawson comes in in the 18th minute and then eight more minutes later, Rossi, Giuseppe Rossi with another free kick. Um, they just, Gave, uh, I mean, when he came running in on that first that first goal that was disallowed, uh, with just tons of space, um, and then on the free kick, uh, 26 minute, he puts a gorgeous, gorgeous ball in, uh, and then uh, MJ, why don't you tell us what happened? He puts the ball in. Uh, Anuoa, a center back, is crashing on the on the left side, and he puts this great header far post. Um, one of the things you see on our defensive back line that I've been overly critical of, but you see with Metinair and, and Gasper helping up on the attack and being the wingbacks that Heath wants, but then sometimes, whether it's Ozzy Alonso, Hassani Dotson, or Gregush, isn't then dropping back and taking their place on the back four line to compensate for their uh, going forward in case shit happens. And when shit happens and the counter's on, then you have Metinair maybe too far forward or Metinair stepping up to try to head the ball when he should stay in front of the body. And that's what happened. They went over Metinair uh, and uh, Metinair looks like he's trying to play the ball in the air rather than Mark uh, Anawoa. And he just gets this great header to go far post. Now, thankfully, there's this thing called VAR. And we can verify that, you know, uh, Anawoa's left shoulder was, you know, more on the wrong side than than I am about Lud, you know. Yeah, he was barely off sides. Um, you know, the, we were debating uh, whether Dane should have done better with that header. Um, it looked, you know, it's not like he put a ton of power on it. He just kind of, he pretty much directed it into basically the only spot that Dane couldn't get to. Right. Um, he looked, I mean, when, when St. Clair looked like he was not playing well, but I think he, I, I kind of tend to believe that he had the best, 
probably positioning for what he thought, you know, when you, when you get ahead like that, I think he thought he was going to go down and near post um, yes. instead of like trying to flick it across the, across the box to the far post. So I don't know how much more Dane could have done uh, on that one. You're a goalkeeper, you know, like you see the ball go to your right and you, you drift right. And you, you, you have to acknowledge the, the, the near post and let your defense help you with the back, back post. Yeah. Um, again, not much happens in that first half for either team, obviously outside of those two goal scoring opportunities, even with those RSL looked, did not look great. Minnesota United looked particularly bad in the midfield, just giving ball away, balls away, um, all the dropping ludes all over the place from whether it was actual, actual Robin Lude or Kevin Molino. Interesting. Uh, he actually had, he had some, he, again, we'll talk about him in, in a second here about just. You know, is he the greatest player ever for Minnesota United or the greatest attacking creative attacker? Um, TBD, but uh, anything else on the first half that you guys wanted to, to mention? Otherwise, we can jump into the the madcap uh, crazy action second half. Nothing really all that in-depth. I just, in the, the sort of infinite universes, I want to know what happens in that game if Rossi's ball does across the line and the referee calls it. I want to know how Minnesota United comes back from one down. Um, because they look so much better in the second half, so you know that they're capable of it. But as much as we crap on Heath for, for relying too much on platitudes, he's not wrong. Goals do change games. <laughs> yep. All right. Uh, so second half starts. Minnesota United comes out. And um, actually, RSL looks fairly dominant to, you know, for the first few minutes of the, of the second half. And then, uh, but Minnesota, as you know, as you know, Jan just said, and Adrian Heath loves to tell us, goals change games, and none other than Chase fucking Gasper <laughs> scores <laughs> a particularly uh, interesting set of uh, um, set of plays. MJ, why don't you why don't you talk us through? Because I want I actually really want to talk a little bit about about this goal in particular. But MJ, why don't you tell us uh, what, how everything's set up? I don't know the the defender or midfielder for Real Salt Lake that tried to clear the ball, but they tried to clear the ball kind of this big looping ball just to buy them some time to get back on defense. And Asani Dodson makes this great jumping header to head it down. The, the most amazing part of this play to me, just because I'm a martial arts enthusiast, is that, you know, Gregush plays the ball off the pitch. It's coming at him out of bounds. And he does the reverse roundhouse. It's the Taekwondo hook kick, you know, with his back to the net and basically blindly plays it to Renoso. Renoso one touches it square left to Molino, and then Molino feeds this perfectly weighted ball that Justin Glad is just trying his hardest to track back and get to. He's, you know, he's trying to, you know, go the distance like cake, and he just can't get there because Gasper speedily runs out of the ball and slots it home. Yeah, so... Glad is bad. It was interesting that that, that so um, you mentioned right now. So he gets he gets uh, absolutely uh, destroyed uh, on that one touch pass. Um, um, Holt, the aforementioned Holt. Yep. Just um, and the rest played advantage. The, the interesting from that Molino pass is we we're all watching that and and we like there's no way that neither Glad nor McMath like don't get to that ball first. McMath comes out about you know twelve yards out of his out of his you know goal area and then just stops. And then fucking, no man's land. Yeah, and Justin and Justin Glad is again just I don't know if he had lead in his shoes or what because just you know now so we're talking about uh, Chase now that's Pedro that's some fucking Pedro moves right there. He was he was speedy. I couldn't believe how fast he ran out of that ball. Yeah. And because because of the camera angle, 
it looks like he comes out of nowhere. I mean, just they didn't have a, a very wide shot. Yeah. So. You got to you got to credit Pedro for 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 making for just for the, having the audacity to make that run. And again, that was just a, 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 a just an interesting angle and 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 pass by Molino. I don't know if that's what he was intending to do. If he just or if he just didn't hit it hard enough, because I think he. I think he probably intended to hit that a little harder to take it a little further out wide, but you know, whatever it's, it's a, it's a fucking goal. It's a fucking goal. A remarkably composed finished by yeah. Chase Gasper, a man who had no MLS goals to his name. Pedro. He, looked, he, went Pedro. he went full Pedro and yeah, just absolutely put it past McMath. You couldn't ask him to do anything more than he did with that ball. It was really a perfect finish. David, can you explain uh, the, Chase Gasper Pedro duality for the for our ignorant listeners who like me last night did not understand this reference. So you don't listen to the 55 one podcast. It, this might. Yeah. Um, so Pedro, so Chase Gasper played uh, youth soccer on the East coast uh, and he played on a team. I can't remember when uh, he, so he, so he mentioned, so Chase mentioned this in a, was, I believe it was an interview on the extra time podcast. Yeah. It was. Um, and uh, basically that he played on a team that was mostly Hispanic uh, and he was the only white kid. And they said, Chase is a too white of a name. So they called him Pedro, Pedro Gasper. Uh, and then <laughs> so, Wes and, and Rodrigo and the guys on the 50 by one podcast made a joke that when, when Chase is doing good Chase shit, that's Pedro. And when Chase is doing non good shit, that's Chase. So, um, you know, I think we're going to call this one uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Pedro uh, for the t- title podcast. Yeah. Uh, but full credit to 55-1 uh, for those guys uh, for uh, for coming up, for like, giving us that interesting uh, Pedro Chase dynamic and MJ for, uh, yes, chatting last night. So it was, uh, it's interesting. Um, all right. So then again, nine minutes later, um, this is this is Robin Lude, and since uh, MJ has the hardest hard on for Robin Lude, MJ, talk to us about Robin Lude's goal. Um, so well, I'll say Reynoso puts it in. So to, to Reynoso plays again. Uh, so last goal, it was it was Molino with the beautiful through ball, uh, or like to hit Gasper. This was also an amazing through ball, perfectly weighted because. Lude is not fast. He's not fast. So when you play a through ball, you can't expect, you know, Raheem Edwards-like speed. And, you know, one of the interesting things was it looked like either he switched Molino and Lude, since they're both naturally right wings. Um, he started Molino on the left, Lude on, on, on the right. And then at halftime, it looks like they either switched or were free to roam. And but so Lude's coming down, down the left, and he slots one home near side. Zach McMath makes the same mistake. He starts coming out to close down the angle, and then he stops coming out. And he's caught out in no man's land. He's leaving the near post open. And so you slot it home to the near post. Yep. And then uh, so he's made two subs in this game, or three subs total, two in the second half. Uh, 64th minute, Corey Hayes comes on for Mason Toy. In the 72nd minute, Raheem Edwards for uh, for Bebelow. Um And then in the 75th minute, uh, what I I described on Twitter as probably the stupidest fucking goal I've ever seen. Uh, Dan, you were you were a fan of this goal, so why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, about this goal in the 65th minute that, uh, or sorry, the 75th minute that made it three nothing Minnesota. Yeah. 
so this goal really, really is two parts. Uh, the first part was a through ball to Kevin Molino. Again, almost in the exact same spot as the first two. I suspect this will get brought up in Zach McMath's film session this week. Is uh, you, got, <laughs> you, you got beat from the same place three times in one half. You may want to figure that out. Uh, Edwards puts in the, this beautiful through ball. Kevin Molino overruns it and sort of blows the chance. But he does stop the ball. So uh, David is right. Up until this moment, this is the one of the worst moments of the game because the Loons have a chance at 3-0 and they totally blow it. But uh, credit to Molino, uh, he does something awesome out of it. So stops the ball, plays a back heel pass straight into Raheem Edwards' path. Zach McMath falls over trying to grab the ball. And instead of trying to score from a zero angle, Raheem Edwards finds Ja'Cory Hayes attacking the net. And it does, in fact, uh, go 3-0. This is the dumb and dumber of goals, though, you guys. This is, this is I thought you were going to go to something stupid, but then you totally redeemed yourself. Because, uh, yeah, the, the Loons blew a, a golden opportunity for their third goal, and they got a way cooler goal out of it. <laughs> Uh, I've had to point out in that in the Lude goal is that Lude almost like scuffed that one himself. Like he like stumbled over that ball um, before he actually put it slotted it home with his with his left foot. So forgot he about that. Stumbled. It looked like to me that he was trying to do a little shoulder feint and then like to his right foot and then went to his left foot. But whatever. All right. My Lude bias is well known. Noted noted Lude apologist on yeah. the podcast. Uh, <laughs> MJ and also apparently team employed by the team uh, to. Uh, <laughs> so. I am right. not on. I'm not on Minnesota United's pay, payroll. And as much as I'm hurting for some co- uh, cold, hard cash right now, I do not want to be. So. That, that we know of. All right. And then uh, finally, Minnesota United puts it away. Uh, this time, Lude, from the right-hand side, um, it was a – just this is a, a textbook, uh, you know, great passes. Um, Robin Lude just opens up, and, and McMath – I think McMath um, – taking the points of getting beat sort of near side in those first three goals just totally gives up the entire back, the entire uh, far post. And Robin Lude slots it again with his left foot um, past McMath uh, for four, nothing in the 90th minute. So that is how the game ends uh, for nothing. Uh, anything um, stand out before we jump into our Freddie do's and, and we'll talk about some of our, our more particular burning questions for, for these games in general. On three of the goals, uh, all but the the Dumb and Dumber goal that we just dissected. At one point during the buildup, there was a pass that was way, way too softly weighted, and it created a 50-50 opportunity. Uh, and it resulted in Reynoso, Molino, and Dotson all getting blown up by a defender. But in all three circumstances, they got the pass off. So between... Rossi's was it a goal was it not and then three consecutive 50-50 balls that Minnesota United wins within two passes of a goal we really have to look at the luck factor with this team I'm not saying they didn't deserve to win but this uh, a little bit like we're saying maybe United didn't look quite as bad as 3-0 against Houston would have you believe they didn't look quite as good as 4-0 against RSL would have you believe and it's so interesting compare this to the Dallas game particularly the second half where you've got Aha being fractionally offside on his header. You've got Raheem Edwards hitting the inside of the post and getting no luck on the bounce. You have the team hitting the crossbar. Like this, those two games are so interesting to me in contrast because it's functionally the same team doing functionally the same things and it's luck. 
determining whether or not these things are working out for them. So I'm like, I'm completely fascinated by how this team swings back and forth from terrible result to great result. And it really comes down to these tiny, tiny fractional moments. But that said, full credit to all three of those midfielders for just straight up running into the defender, playing the ball they needed to play and taking the contact. So sometimes you do make your own luck, but those 50-50 balls really did determine the game. Yeah, 100%. Uh, MJ, do you have anything else you want to add before we jump into Freddie Adus? No. Okay, perfect. All right, well, MJ, why don't you start us off uh, with Minnesota's uh, Freddie Adus for you. Well, I will just say – it is obvious who the the player of the match should be, and and I will leave that for someone else. But I fucking say Robin Lude, man. But <laughs> but but I, I my Freddie Freddie Adu best player of the game is is Robin Lude. Uh, he he had an amazing uh, Aaron Robin mo- moment where he gets the ball on the right, he cuts left, shoots uh, a hooky ball with his left left foot just barely off the pitch. McMath makes a really, really great save, save um, diving to, to his right. Um, in addition to that shot, he had a pass to Toy that could have been an assist. He had a pass to Molino that could have been an assist. Um, and he had a pass to Reynoso that could have been an assist. Um, so he made great, you know, his style of short on the pitch passes to uh, fellow teammates that were cutting for him. And, uh, and he got and he got two goals. So, I, yeah. the other thing I'll say is that uh, the the addition of one amazing designated player is only going to help a player like Robin Lud. What's I have some thoughts. I think Dan has some thoughts on Robin Lud. We'll save those for uh, in a little bit here because I have a question sort of particularly related to that. But um, but you're, you're right. I mean, he he played a he, he played a fucking damn good game, man. He can't can't fault him for that. Uh, my my Freddie do worst player of the game is uh, Roman Metinier. Time and time again, uh, he looked like he was trying to step up either to try to catch people on an offside trap when his defensive partners weren't stepping up, or uh, he was kind of lazy and tracking back and getting in front of bodies that were attacking down uh, their left or right hand side. Yeah, he, he had some uh... he had some howlers of, of turnovers. Um, he did. He did. I, so, so I'll jump in. Um, I think the, the guy you were referring to uh, before you talked about Lude was Reynoso. Um, he had a, uh, a an amazing game. He had you know, one assist. He had a hockey assist on the um, uh, second goal. Sorry, yeah, first goal, the Chase Gasper goal. Um, with that, and just and again, as you mentioned, took a took a a crunch from Eric Holtz. Um, he just he. And again, well, I have we have a sort of question, or I have a question related to him, so I'm not gonna to you know um, SSD too much here. But he's been he was a revelation, uh, sort of that for whatever you know that last 20 minutes was for Minnesota, and then for these first 70 minutes, he's played 90 minutes for Minnesota, and he's looked awfully damn good for all, pretty much all 90 minutes. So I'll give it to Ray Nelson. And then uh, for my shitty Freddie Adu, uh, Jan Gregus is I don't know if he's just if he's got if he's got tired legs. Um, or what, but he, you know, outside of his, uh, you know, your Taekwondo uh, kick, he played some particularly bad passes. To his credit, he was he was getting back on, and I think with uh, Ozzy out, I think he definitely tried to stay back a little bit more and to try to be more of a disruptor. 
and he was he's actually did some good things last night getting back and and intercepting passes breaking things up but his 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 passing boots were not on he just time and time again he would go back he'd, he'd make a run back he'd intercept a pass and then he just turn right back over in the midfield the midfield in particular for me yesterday well for sure in that first half was d- just completely disjointed and again i'm not sure if that is you know the lack of Ozzy Alonso. Um, it clearly that is sort of the the one common denominator for for Houston game and you know the most of this game. Um, did not have Ozzy Alonso and and your midfield played particularly disjointed and didn't seem to be able to connect a ton of passes or string a, a ton of passes together. But Gregus uh, looked you know again outside of that one really cool awesome moment. Um, I didn't think he had a particularly good game. So Dan. <laughs> Yeah, so on the, the good side, I'm going to uh, throw out Hassani Dotson again for exactly the reason that you mentioned, that this team was game planning around having Ozzy Alonso in there, and that allows Gregoosh to do some things. It allows the defense to do some things. Um, we have seen when he's not on the pitch that the team really does suffer. Dotson comes in not having planned on starting and really takes Ozzy's role better than we have seen him slot into the six before he has a tendency to get sucked up into the attack. He's an, he is a far better attacking player than Minnesota United typically use him as, but in this game, I think he really did take the destroyer role a little more seriously uh, for as many times as RSL looked good or had the ball in the net. None of those came from open play uh, or when Dotson was on. So you had Rossi's Rossi's goal was while Ozzy was, or quasi goal, perhaps goal was when, Ozzy was still on, uh, and then their other stuff mostly came off of set pieces. Now, when RSL subbed on, they're actually good attackers. Uh, they struggled a little bit more to keep them out of the box, but I thought Dotson played really well as a replacement six uh, and got into the attack extremely effectively, got an assist in this game. But Shitty Freddy Adu, you guys hit on the two of them that I think really need to be pointed out. And with Metinair and Gregoosh, Gregoosh has played, I believe, every minute of every game at this point. Exactly. And the the only games Metinair missed, he missed, what, one and a half games in Orlando with a bad hammy. Yeah. Like, these guys have not been rotated at all. And I think – I don't necessarily know that the game coming up against Dallas is where you want to do it. But it is – you've got to rotate them soon because you guys are right. They, their legs look tired – they're being asked to do too much. And like, we think of Metinair as this crazy physical specimen where, you know, he can't get bullied off the ball. He can't get beaten down the side. And we've seen him get bullied off the ball and we've seen him get beaten down the side, which tells me he's really tired. So the, I, I will point out that yes, they did play shittily, but at the same time, I think their tanks are just flat out empty at this point. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, RSL side, Dan, let's, let's, let's stay with you. Uh, who do you have for RSL? Uh, I got to shout Giuseppe Rossi. Um, I talked about him in the, in the preview. Uh, he had scored his first goal in MLS against uh, who was that Seattle. And yeah, it looks like a kind of a menacing attacker. I think we are seeing in this game what Rossi can do for this offense, because he is still one absolute cannon of a shot, which Dane St. Clair found out. Uh, but two, a legitimate attacking threat and can get in some really interesting places. He really, particularly before the mass subs in the second half, he was their offense. And they did look dangerous enough to threaten Minnesota United. So I think that's a, a huge credit to him. Uh, my shitty Freddie Adu is a little bit of a cop-out, but I'm going with it anyway. Screw you guys. Uh, is uh, Freddie Juarez. Uh, this team, Minnesota United, should have won this game. This was not a game against RSL. This was against uh, Real Monarchs, basically. Um, 
it was a heavily rotated squad. There was no Rusnak, no Corey Baird, no Krylak, no nothing. Uh, you know, the, the, if Rossi hadn't played so well, we would have said this team was completely toothless and they had rested every good attacker they had. Turns out Rossi's not that bad, so that worked out okay. But all of their best players were rested. And you watch the last, like, 20 minutes of that game again when the subs came on, and RSL had a game for United in a way that they didn't for the previous 70. So I'm going to – look, the, the COVID life being what it is, it's hard to get on a coach too much for squad rotation, but he over-rotated and, and overthought this game. And it was there for him to win, and instead they got beat bad. No, I don't blame you for there for that. Uh, MJ, who you got? First of all, I just want to say credit to, to David Zeller for pointing out to me last night at the Blackheart that uh, Real Salt Lake coach uh, Freddy Juarez used to play for the Minnesota Thunder. Yeah, Thunder yeah. alum. Uh, uh, and, uh, him, and, him and Luchi Gonzalez, uh, yeah. you know, peppering the, uh, the MLS coaches with uh, Thunder. Thunder, uh, Thunder. Anyway, um, my – Pretty new best player of the game is uh, Albert Rusnak, uh, another Slovakian designated player. As Dan alluded to, he did not start; he was rested. But when he came in on the in the second half, their attack definitely changed for the better. And uh, my uh, pretty new worst player of the game, he didn't really have a bad player from dis- uh, distribution standpoint. He made a lot of good passes and a lot of good good attacks with the ball. But there was that moment where Everton Luis climbs up Reynoso uh, like a jungle gym, like he's some piece of playground equipment, and then the ref whistles it and and gives the ball to Real Salt Lake for some un, unknown reason. So I basically want to give the referee the Freddie Adu, you know, worst player of the game, but – yeah, that's that's allowed. But but I mean, other than making some calls in our favor, I don't have a lot of complaints on the center ref. So you know, Everton Luis, what are you doing, climbing up our players? Helen at the bar explained it really well. He just wanted a piggyback ride. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> don't do it on our new designated player. Damn it. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I had Rossi um, for all things that Dan said, and then for my shitty Freddie do uh, Eric Holtz. Um, the defender who blew up uh, Reynoso on that first goal, he was he was at he was you know particularly at fault for several of the goals. He had a, a particularly forgettable game. Um, but yeah, to, to, to Dan's point, this is a heavily rotated squad. Uh, clearly, they were hoping to, to smash and grab, um, and they almost did. Honestly, like to to Dan's point from earlier, what I don't know what this game looks like if if that Rossi goal goes in and it's one nothing in the 13th minute. Um, maybe they can they can steal a point. Uh, you know, with a, again, heavily rotated squad, they bring in, you know, Corey Baird and, and Albert Rusnak late on to either, you know, get another goal or to just uh, hold, seal the victory. So, um, so yeah, so that was RSL. So at the standings right now, Minnesota United is uh, still in third place um, behind Sporting Kansas City and Seattle Sounders. Uh, they go to, uh, again, Sporting Kansas City on Sunday. They host FC Dallas on Wednesday. All right, so let's uh, jump in with some um, – some particularly burning questions. So Mason Toy uh, has looked looked like the best uh, um, striker attacking option that we've seen in a while. Um, we'll we've we'll talk a little bit about Amaria and what he's got. But I think this is uh, you know Toy's job to, to to run with right now, right, guys? Is there any any reason why it shouldn't be? No, I play, play the kid. 
Yeah, I, I would love to see him get into a little bit more of a structured position as a top striker. It seems like, uh, and he was tracking back a lot more in this game, which was an interesting development. I know that's not always seen as a good thing with a striker. I liked it. I liked seeing him get into the play a little bit more. Um, but Amaria like, sticks up top. The, his attacking teammates know where he's going to be. He can't always stay on side, but you know, that's life. Um, and it feels like Toy is a little bit more of a free floater. And it feels like sometimes that's super beneficial. Uh, see the LAFC game when he sort of floated to the right wing and scored a banger. And sometimes it leaves his teammates wondering where their top striker is. So I'd love to see him get into just a little bit more of a structured position. And I feel like with Bibilo coming in, we're going to see a lot more of that. I don't know. I, I hate to take 60 really good minutes from an, a new toy and say, oh, this is exactly what this is going to look like going forward. But with Reynoso, you do see his ability to just find that half yard of space that wasn't getting found before. And I feel like that really has the potential to unlock toy who is probably second only to Kevin Molino on the team in terms of, hey, this would be an interesting run. I'm going to try this. So finding out somebody who has that same kind of wavelength and could be super beneficial. I want to see Amaria with Reynoso because I want to see what happens when he gets consistent service that isn't across from Roman Matinair or Ethan Finley. Uh, but as we're about to touch on, it sounds like he's not fully healthy, and I would rather see Toy at 100% than Amaria at 75 or 80. Agree 100%. Yeah. I think um, one of the things that Lu Luis Amaria does so well and hopefully he can mentor toy is when he doesn't have the ball whether that's kind of lulling defenders asleep by kind of standing still and then bursting to a different point in the field or making you know a couple steps in one direction to draw defenders in and then you know cutting back the other direction um you're seeing toy be a little bit more predictable and a little easier to defend and so maybe some of those off the ball sort of tricks that's something that you know amaria or you know a striker whisperer can can uh impart on mason toy yeah um all right so my sort of second question here is and kind of i talked a little bit about it um just a, a minute ago um what is up with our midfield and just how disjointed and and particularly egregious um it's looked the last, you know, I guess three games basically since uh, um, the FC Dallas game um, last week. Uh, it's been, it's been it's just, there's not, a, there's not any connectivity. Do you guys have any thoughts on, on that? Or is Greg, is, basically the question is, is Greg Goose broken? <laughs> have we broken Greg Goose? Well, we've already touched on that. He's played a lot of minutes without any rest, but I would say that one thing that enters into this, the thing that I liked about these last few games is you saw Heath experiment with, with the roster. Well, when you rotate the roster that heavily, there is confusion maybe on what role are we playing? What formation are we playing? Who, who is supposed to be where, especially defensively. And to Dan's point, I thought that when Dotson came in, Greg Ush did kind of play more of a six and let Dotson play more of the eight. You know, Greg Ush kind of knew he had to hang back and, and be more of a defensive presence. But that means that, you know, going forward on that right side, you know, maybe Lude or somebody who's looking for that short pass, you know, Greg Ush isn't maybe uh, making that run forward to be, to be that pass for Lude. Um, yeah, I, I think MJ touched on some really good things there, which is basically that Greg Ush doesn't look like the player 
he looked like when United was playing super well. And so I think grading him on that scale, he's going to look broken. Um, but you, you sort of look at, at how the team is building their attack. Um, they're not doing what they were in terms of like, okay, defense recovers the ball. It's one pass to Ozzy. Ozzy to Grey Goose. Grey Goose to uh, Finley. Finley on, to Metnair on an overlap or Metnair to Finley on a more traditional one cross in in. And in that sense, Grey Goosh looked really good. He was doing exactly what he needed to do. The attack now is much more chaotic. And I think that's actually super beneficial. But for a, a TikTok player like Grey Goosh, it puts him in a much different role. So, yes, he is, not, he is not the metronomic eight that he had been. But he is doing more on the defensive side. So, overall, I think he's still giving the team a good amount of value. But it does speak to... Okay, from the point, we, we know how the team wants to attack when the ball is in the offensive third. When they recover the ball in the defensive third, how are they going to get it there? I think that's a question that's still very much TBD. And if Ozzy's out for, let's say, three to four weeks with the uh, hamstring injury, and that seems fairly conservative, um, even though it amounts to, what, like seven games, um, they're going to have to figure that out. It's a, it's a piece they don't really have. Um, I'll be interested to see if Ja'Cory Hayes fills that role a little bit. He can be a little bit more of that shuttle eight, yeah. but we haven't seen him consistently enough to say, oh yeah, 100%, like this is going to be, we're going to see uh, Grey Goose dropping back into a more defensive-minded position and Ja'Cory Hayes or Dotson emerging as as the attacking piece. But yeah, I, I think this is less about uh, the team breaking down or the midfield being bad and more just a okay we need to fundamentally change how we attack and people still figuring out where their role is within that new paradigm yeah all right so let's, let's touch let's, let's touch on what we think we can do to fix that in the when we uh sort of talk about the the upcoming games um all right we've been dancing around it uh robin lude um played a, a great game last night uh I'm not gonna go for all the for the minnesota united uh, staffer who needs to listen to this and report back to Adrian Heath. Uh, we, we support what Lou did last night. Um, thank you for <laughs> playing him on the right-hand side, which us, and I know several other people have been, have been screaming for to actually play him on the right-hand side where he's plays with his national team and where he's played for most of his professional career. Um, but the, the thing I want, <laughs> the question I have is it's not so much about Robin Lude as it is the particular uh, way that this team just, wants to just piss on you know literally like take a leak on everybody um this particular quote from adrian, from adrian heath is particularly damning uh it's uh jeff reuter it's a tweet, tweet from jeff reuter but he basically he quotes adrian heath and adrian heath says i've got to say that i'm so pleased for robin lude because i want to put it out there that he is one of our players by the way not the opposition listening to some of the things that people write about him um implying that, you know, the fans of this team uh, for rightly calling out that Robin Lute has been kind of garbage for most of his time with Minnesota United. Um, and then, you know, uh, Eric Durkee of uh, the, the PR guy for Minnesota United um, comes out and with a tweet that basically says, uh, Robin Lude uh, doesn't care about your tweets and literally puts that out from, from his account is I just, I just, I can't with this front office anymore. I mean, that's, that's my, the fuck is wrong with these guys. So, I would say that, one, I like Heath defending his players, not throwing them under the bus. That, that's an improvement. Um, obviously, easier to do when you win. 
the other thing I would say is that, you know, I am not someone who believes the front office, the coaching staff and the players are above criticism. You know, my idea of being a fan is I think it's obvious on this podcast is not that we have to be totally 100% positive the entire time and no one is above criticism. My, my major point is that, that people criticize Lude for stuff that Chacon does that, you know, that Miguel Ibarra did that uh, Alexi Gomez did. And some of those we criticize some of those players for, but others, it seems very imbalanced. It seems very unfair. Um, and so that I feel that Lude in, in much of the Twitter sphere has gotten the short end of the stick. Now about the, the, the front office and PR there, you know, Adrian, he just needs to learn. There are things that you print out and put on your bulletin board to motivate your players. And there's a different thing that you say to reporters after a win. I mean, those are two different motivating things. You know, you can't, you know, taking something negative that the fans say about you and using that to motivate a player is one thing. Taking that to lash out at fans in a post-game interview after a win is a really shitty thing to do. Yeah, uh, MJ's dead on there. And it's something that you, okay, you can maybe forgive Inchi for not really understanding how these things work. Eric Durkee's a PR professional. He absolutely knows how these things work and he should be better than this. And I say this in a professional context, don't do that. That's shitty. Um, it's, it's really frustrating to, to have this stuff coming out after the first loons win since they got back from Orlando and really the first game where they looked good since they got back from Orlando. And, and MJ's not wrong. Some of the criticism of Robin Lude is, it's getting mimetic, right? Like, oh my God, like using the phrase dropping Ludes is honestly stupid. Um, because plenty of players oh, turn the ball over. <laughs> plenty of players turn the ball over in the midfield. He's hardly the only one. And honestly, he does it less than Kevin Molino. But like, he has not played well for this team. And I know MJ, you'll bristle at this criticism, but he's a DP. Like he is, he's in, no, I'm sorry. He's a TAM player. He's a TAM player. You're right. Like he is in a point, he is, he's in a salary category where the team can only have so many. So it's not just that he's making the money. It's that that money then limits their ability to do other things. And it gives him a responsibility. I think of this like a guys in the NBA on a max contract. So Andrew Wiggins wasn't any good. It wasn't good enough to justify his contract, but you can say that about hundreds of thousands of players throughout the history of sports especially given the way that whatever there's a, there's a Patreon podcast where Dan does a massive digression into salary structures, but in capped leagues like MLS and the NBA, not only are you using resources in the broad sense, but usually from an owner who has plenty, you are truly taking up a slot that someone else should be performing in. So I think that is fair criticism to say that Lude has underperformed where he needs to be given the slot he occupies. And I think that criticism is completely fair. I would say that if that is your criticism, if that is your primary criticism, is that if Lude is not doing as well as his salary dictates, then the amount of tweets I see angry at Lude versus the amount of tweets I see angry at the front office, the technical director and scouting staff and the, and, and the coaching staff and whoever's on fucking payroll, um, is is horribly imbalanced. Yeah, and that's that's certainly fair. My primary criticism of Robin Lude isn't his contract. My primary, primary my primary criticism is that I don't know what he was supposed to be doing on the pitch 
because he wasn't doing it. Yeah. So what we saw, and, and I think what we've seen in the last two games with him being so much better was, yeah, he can't play on the left. And like, that's, that's an Adrian Heath problem. When yeah. you have a, when you have a player that you see on a day-to-day basis, and I'll preface this with, or I'll, I'll interject, Kendra D. St. Aubin talked about this in the pregame, saying that all of Minnesota United's teammates love Robin Lude. They see what he does day in and day out in practice. And this is something we touched on last week, that there are practice all-stars. Robin Lude is in amazing physical shape. And he, it doesn't surprise me to find out that he goes super hard in practice. And that's awesome. And it does buy the the uh, loyalty of your teammates, but we didn't see it on the pitch. And so at this point, what we have is a catastrophic communications failure and a tactics failure. And so this is, this is somewhat on Adrian Heath. This is a lot on Robin Lude for not performing. And this is somewhat on Durkee for not being able to communicate why Robin Lude was valuable to the team. So for those two guys to come out and say, well, the fans are just fucking stupid is so galling because it's their fault that we're in this position. So the fact that we're having this conversation after a 4-0 win instead of, dude, how good was it to see Robin Lude play well? I'm so happy for him. These guys are shitting their own bed, and it is so galling to watch. I'm so done with this. It's not even the underdog mentality. It's a victim mentality. Oh, we, like, the fans were so wrong. You looked horrible. You were unwatchably bad for sections of the Dallas game, the Houston game, and part of this first half. And to turn around and say, and look, we proved you all wrong, completely misunderstands what the criticism was. So it is insanely frustrating, and I think extremely unprofessional what both of these guys did. Yeah, it's it's professional gaslighting is what it is. And it's um, considering that they've been doing it's, it's This would be, you know, if if they had been getting everything right, and, and you know, we had, you know, the fan base um, – it particularly just wasn't in lockstep about Robin Lude and, and we, you know, and then Robin Lude gets it right. And they say, you know what, Robin Lude, we, we were right. That's, we were right. Um, that's one thing, but they've been doing this. This isn't like they've been doing this shit since uh, this year. They've been doing this shit since 2017, 2018, um, calling out portions of the fan base that don't necessarily agree with the moves that they're making, asks for accountability and gets, gets fucking nothing. You can't, you can't get mad at your fans for, calling you calling you out for um or trying to hold you accountable just because there's a certain part of your fan base that just is uh you know in some sort of cult of heath or something um and the team can do no wrong because the team has been doing wrong been doing wrong for for a while since they got back from orlando um has a track record of doing wrong. like one decent year does not uh forgive the sins of the past right like fucking do it again is is what i'm is my biggest my biggest beef and the I think the other thing is is the thin skin of these guys, right? Like, someone wants to call it our podcast for being shitty. Like, please do. Like, we're we don't our audio quality is shit. We have shitty opinions. Whatever. Like, I I have thick enough skin where I'm not gonna like uh, get a um, you know lose my shit over you know some people like telling you you're fucking up. Like, you're fucking up. And when you're not fucking up, we will say, hey, that's a good job of not fucking up. Just give us the opportunity to do that. Don't. You literally put out a tweet minutes after the fucking game is over, trying to like trying to rile up your fucking fan base for for no apparent reason, for no apparent reason whatsoever, other than they they wanted to, they wanted to say that they were right. Cool. Like it, it, let's it, talk about the let's talk about the, the last twenty five fucking times when you've been wrong, David. To to compliment your take, I really feel that the we've seen this 
not good at communicating, not good at marketing, you know, everything from, you know, it's n not a, uh, it's not a soft open, you know, and so on. Th there have just been things that uh, the front office and the PR team does that are baffling. And just like, you know, shout out to EC Watch and Giselle from 31 Questions Pod. Uh, just like uh, uh, Issa says, you know, loons need to go to striker camp. There are people that need to go to PR camp in Minnesota United. And um, I've certainly said that before. Uh, Dan alluded to it earlier. I mean, if you're in marketing or public relations, you know, know your job, you know, know your job is to uh, maybe reframe the context or soften things that the coach says, not, you know, reinforce and, and, you know, completely piss off your fan base. It's, it's a problem that this front office has had since uh, even before MLS. Yeah. I totally forgot that uh, uh, Fangmeyer tweeted or uh, retweeted or tweeted at um and Turkey after uh, after uh, that that uh, lewd quote came out and fucking Harrison Heath came in literally like within minutes like Harrison Heath was on on fucking Twitter uh, <laughs> being a dick bag and uh, I was a dick bag back to him and he has not responded so um, it's just it's a it's a it's a culture thing man it, it, it's really it's bad I I, I just don't understand it um, and I don't want to spend any more time talking about it because I'm just gonna get really really more pissed off so let's talk about a good thing um, and something they did right the team hey. Minnesota United, person who's listening to this podcast, intern, who has to report back to, to Adrian Heath and Eric Turkey. He did something right with Reynoso. Um, the dude is fucking great. He's the, as I mentioned, um, I think he's probably the most creative playmaker that we've had in MLS. Um, and, you know, I would put him right up there with, and I know this is sort of blasphemous to that particular part of the fan base, but I, he might even be more creative than Ibsen. Um, when, <laughs> when Ibsen came to, to the NASL, not, not, not MLS Ibsen, I'm talking about NASL Ibsen, obviously. Um, so, uh, so my question is Reynoso golden God or greatest great playmaker Minnesota United has ever had. <laughs> this is actually, I think we've got to combine these two questions and then so related to that. Um, will the real Minnesota United, uh, FC please stand up. So we've had two games, stand up. um, stand up. two games this week where we had a particularly, uh, uh egregious performance, um, I'll say let's talk about the three games as a whole because right we have Dallas last week, Houston, and then uh, RSL um, yesterday. Um, what is the real Minnesota United team look like? Um, yeah, that's that's my question. So, can I talk about the Reynoso thing first? So. I've made jokes on Twitter about, you know, instead of Yezu Bambino, Yezu Babelo. Um, I completely miss that his, his first name is Emmanuel. It means God with us. If this isn't the savior that, that Minnesota United have been praying for, you know, I, I don't know who is. In all seriousness, he looked great. You know, the things, not necessarily creativity like a Molino kind of, doing unorthodox things and, and doing things that defenses don't expect, but the vision to make the right pass at the right time with the right weight, the technical ability to handle the ball in tight spaces and make those good decisions with his head up, sometimes playing the ball back, sometimes doing nice one touches to the side. We've been missing that in the middle. Um, Molino 
was kind of a band-aid fix as a central attacking midfielder. He's actually a right wing. Um, uh, he played a, a right wing under Heath all during his time in Orlando. So it's nice to see a more natural fit. The best natural fit for number 10 since uh, Miguel Ibarra wore the number 10. Yeah, I'll jump on the, the Bibolo train. Um, Bibolo, I think, is actually the pronunciation. Bibolo. I thought Steve McPherson tweeted out that it was Bibolo. Yeah, it, in Spanish, it wouldn't be BB. It would be Bebe. Bebelo. Bebe. Yeah, okay, all right. We'll go with that. We'll look this up. We'll get it fixed by next week. Yeah. Bebelo is fine. I think, actually, I think he did clarify that it's it's Bebelo, but um, Bebelo. Sorry, Bebelo, not Bebelo. Um, not Bebelo. Bebelo. Uh, or Bebelo also is, you know, Bebelo is also um, kosher too. So either way. Yeah, all right. I prefer Bebelo, so as long as that's fine, we'll uh, – We'll go with that. Um, I don't want to – we've seen 60 good minutes from Loons before. Um, you know, imagine imagine trying to extrapolate out Darwin Quintero's career with Minnesota United based on the July 4th game against TFC. Um, <laughs> so he would have scored a 1,000 goals, you guys. We already would have had a statue built of him. Uh, I mean, more than the one in my basement. Uh, <laughs> so I don't want to heap too much on, on right now, so right up front. But – what we've seen of him so far, one, just an incredible tenacity for the ball. How much, like, he was the only loon yellow card in that game, and he probably did deserve it for an accumulation of fouls. He was always in the midfield. He was always, when, uh, when RSL was on the attack, he was clogging. He was tracking back. You don't always see that from a 10. He's aggressive for balls in the air, despite not being the biggest guy in the world. Like, I, he's got this hunger about him, and that's one of the things I really loved. He is also obviously a super technically savvy player. Um, the pass weight to Lude, I think I don't know that we have had a player who consistently can wait a pass like that since the move to MLS. Uh, we've seen flashes of it from some guys. Molino has that in his bag sometimes, but it's not consistent. If you can get that pass from your 10 two to three times a game, you're going to score two goals. Like, and, and then whatever goals you get on top of that, super. But if you can weight a ball like that into your wings constantly, you're going to be an absolutely dominant player. And it is the first time, like, I was really, really excited about Darwin Quintero. Don't get me wrong. And, and he was good for the Loons, but not perhaps great. Reynoso is the first player that we've gotten in the attack that I would say I would say it's almost a given that he makes an MLS best 11 at some point because he is that technically gifted and MLS defenses are just a little bit more agrarian. So that's where that tenacity comes in really handy. So yeah, we talked about him getting lit up by Holt uh, in the, the early part of that second half, but you know what? He just got back up. Like they celebrated the goal and he was totally fine. So I think I, sometimes with highly technical players, you worry it's the, uh, it's the cold Tuesday night in Stoke thing, right? Like, yeah, Messi's great in Spain, but could he do it when three guys are trying to take out his knees? And with uh, Reynoso, it looks for all the world. Like he's going to be able to do it with three guys trying to take out his knees. Yeah. Have you, have you guys watched any uh, South American, like Copa Libertadores or whatever? Those dudes go in fucking hard. I'm not worried. I'm definitely not worried about uh, uh, Reynoso. Uh, and you know MLS defenders, other than MLS defenders being um, a little clumsier, clumsy, and and not <laughs> uh, and not necessarily uh, tactically sound, and just yeah. fucking up his knee or something. I'm not. I'm, I that dude. The dude can take a hit, and that's that's. I mean, you know, Chacon gets that knock too, but you know, Chacon has gotten fucking blasted by people and gets up and, and keeps going. Right. Um, 
and and so I think that is a apparently Minnesotans do not watch uh, South American soccer because watch if you want to watch like a fucking rugby match you don't actually want to watch rugby. <laughs> Copa Libertadores is, is where you is where you should go to watch that. So especially the early rounds when you're talking like Colombian second division teams on a middle <laughs> school pitch. Like I was pretty I watched one of these games last year and I was pretty sure a fight was going to break out. Nope, everybody was totally fine. Like, they all understood, yep, this is just how we play. Yeah, they get fucking stuck in, man. They get stuck in. So, all right, so that brings us to the second question. Uh, what is the, what's, what's the real Minnesota United team, right? Is it the team that we saw last night, um, the second half of last night, um, where, you know, the, the, the bounces just go their way. They get the, you know, they get the, that final touch. Um, they get that, that one pass that they get to that 50-50 ball. Um, or is it, you know, the team that we saw, like, just absolutely shit the bed against uh, FC Dallas, particularly in the first half, and then just absolutely shit the bed in the second half, uh, the, the entire game against Houston? Which one is it? You know how much I hate false dichotomies, so I'm going to call false dichotomy here. The, the answer is a lot more complex than, you know, is it A or is it B? The, a or B, MJ. What, what we see here <laughs> from Minnesota United is – something that you both have talked about previously in podcasts and, and on this podcast as well, consistency. The, the loons are inconsistent, both, both in offense and in, and in defense. And there are times where we look brilliant on the defensive end of the pitch. Boxall, for all the crap that I've been giving him the past, uh, you know, four or five games, he looked great against Real Salt Lake. He had a, uh, some great header clearances, good time on the ball. Um, tracking back on defense and a huge goal line goal line uh, save um, on the on the weak side in in the, in the second half. Um, you know, Dane St. Clair should buy him a beer for the clean sheet. Um, which Michael Boxall are we seeing? Are, are, are we are we seeing the the dominant uh, center back who's very responsible and very aware? Or are we seeing the one that can get very isolated, uh, trying to play one on one when he should be playing three on one uh, defense? You know. And I think the the Michael Boxall inconsistency is just a microcosm of the larger loons issues with with consistency. I also am going to call a little bit of shenanigans on this, but I think it's not with a question. I think it's uh, I think the question is the right one to ask. The answer is just a little out of bounds. Um, I think the loons going forward are going to be the team that we see last night. I don't blame Inchi were trying to do what made them successful last year. 4-2-3-1, rock solid at the back, counterattack effectively. Uh, the problem is that was predicated on defensive player of the year, Igo Parra, uh, tenacious six in his prime, Ozzy Alonso, and Vito Manone, who, whatever you think of him from a skill level standpoint, stood in his damn head for the entire back half of the season. So whatever frailties that system had, those three guys papered up really effectively there were so few times that teams even even in, in the losses teams really tore united open um there were they were always in the game i think the, the perfect example of this is the dallas home game right like that game was incredible there were good attacks on both ends but the loons stood strong and they were there and it gave the offense the brief opening they needed to score the one goal and then Vita Minone goes down and saves the penalty. Like, that's, that to me is the peak loons from last season. None of those guys are available. Like, at this point, based on some of the pregame comments or the, the comments in the week about Ike Opara, I don't think he's coming back this year. 
I don't know that we'll see that much more of Ozzy Alonso. Uh, we've touched on this may be the end of Ethan Finley's time with the Loons. Amari is not healthy. I realize he wasn't there last year, but this is a team that built its identity through the transfer window last winter. And they did it incredibly effectively, huge props, but they can't be that team anymore because they don't have the talent for it. So right now they're trying to build an entirely different team around Mason Toy, Robin Lude, Reynoso, probably Kevin Molino, although I'd be surprised if his contract gets renewed at the end of the year. So I think what we're seeing is a huge amount of growing pains, trying to figure out on the fly what team they are because they couldn't be the team that they were when they were successful. So I think last night, particularly in the second half, we saw a team that, yep, is going to have some frailties at the back, and they're going to be willing to give up a goal or two because they're going to throw everything they can into attack. And this, by the way, is where I think Hassani Dotson becomes absolutely critical for this team. It's where Jan Gregush's ability to be the box-to-box eight, not just an offensive eight, becomes critical. I think they have the personnel to act. Raheem Edwards, I think, is another perfect player for this system. So I think they can absolutely pull this off. It's just going to be really hard, and they need to be really committed to it. So my hope is we saw the beginnings of that in the second half against Dallas. We saw a false start and a frailty against Houston. We saw them working pieces out but not quite getting it together in the first half. And in the second half, things started to click, and that is the team we will see going forward. Very well said, Dan. Also, um, play fucking Chacon. Just for the yeah, play fucking Chacon. Well, and it, like if you're if you're trying to build an attack that is super creative and the teams can't defend off the film, Chacon has to be part of that. He's so creative and he's he's got such good vision. So yeah, I think I think whereas it's really hard to see a role for Tomas Chacon in a four two three one counter attack because he's not quite as good enough as a defensive winger. I think you can absolutely see his future with Minnesota United in a four three three having him start up on the left. Yeah. I still say in either system right now with experience and talent levels where they are, you start Edwards and you bring in Chacon off the bench. I can totally live with that. I would be fine with that if we just fucking see him. <laughs> All right. <laughs> let's, uh, let's take a quick break and we come back. We will we'll very quickly talk Madison and Minneapolis city. And then just some general thoughts about the, uh, the week upcoming what we'd like to see from the team. Again, I think we got a spoiler with uh, freeing some fucking Chacon. So take a break. We'll be right back. You want me to be that type of dude and I want to be who you like me to. But we both know I can't do nothing at all. Oh, yeah. All right. And we're back. Uh, some quick uh, lower division soccer news. Um, Ford Madison uh, played the New England Revolution on Friday. Uh, the Re- New England Revolution 2 in, uh, in, Bo- in wherever the fuck they play. Somewhere on the East Coast. Uh, and uh, beat the shit out of them. Four to nothing. Uh, Michael Vang, the uh, St. Paul kid, scored uh, his second goal for Ford Madison. And uh, yeah, it was just a, I didn't watch the game because that was actually my anniversary. And wife and I out, were out for a fancy dinner. Um, but it's kept getting oh. notifications. Uh, it was fucking great. What's that? Where did you go? I uh, went to the Lexington. Nice. Hey, Paul. Yeah. Um, yeah. My uh, father-in-law paid for dinner. Uh, so dinner and drinks and stuff. So it was, it was fantastic. So, uh, all right. Uh, well, yeah. hold on. Fang actually had two goals and two assists in That's a four right. nil win. So 
Madison, Madison now looks good. Their offense is on track in a way they weren't in the beginning of the season. But uh, that dude's getting camp invites to MLS next year. He has been absolutely dynamic since joining Madison. Oh, for sure. With really, the relationship with Chicago Fire, do Chicago Fire get discovery rights? Do you know? Not automatically, but they certainly have the the relationship that they could be. I'm not saying tapping up now, but you know, talking to him. You know, hey, you know, what what are your plans for next year? So they could be building that relationship in a way other teams kind of can't. Yeah, it it would be great if Minnesota would get in there and 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 take a take a, a swing with them too. Come back home to St. Paul, Michael Vang. But we know this team and this uh, front office would probably fuck it up somehow. So um, and not you know not make inroads with the. Uh, among American uh, population in, uh, in in Minnesota at all. So. Have they have they sent? <laughs> I don't know. What's uh? Let's let's talk I've been about waiting for some Asian outreach on this team. You know, for for a while now. And yeah. again, uh, for those of you who have never seen me or can't see me or don't follow on Twitter, I doubt that's many of the people, our listeners. But yeah, I am Korean American. So. <laughs> All right, uh, and then <laughs> yes, they're not. They do a very good job of of, uh, of that outreach. Um, but that's another that's another topic for another day. Uh, <laughs> the Minneapolis City, some Minneapolis City news. Yeah, so uh, one of their former players, uh, Luke, uh, is it Hawkinson? I believe so. Yeah, uh, my my Dutch pronunciation is, is is horrible. But one of their former players, uh, uh, born and raised in, in Maple Grove, played it. Uh, Shattuck, Shattuck St. Mary's uh, and then went off to college in Omaha and Creighton but uh, former Minneapolis City Crow lighting up the USL championship uh, with uh, Charlotte Independence and you know it's 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 fun to see uh, Charlotte Inde- Independence are the uh, USL championship affiliate of Nashville SC and there's been some hype on that he might get a call up to, to Nashville to play MLS. Yeah, cool. I mean, so he, he's on loan down. He's he's technically a Nashville player on loan down with Charlotte. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, so it would be a really easy. I mean, there's not even that much paperwork involved. Uh, Twenty two kids still still got a, a ton of time ahead of him. Solid midfielder with a, an attacking mind. Uh, Nashville's been building from the bottom or the back. Sorry, I shouldn't say the bottom. Although they're bad, so also the bottom. Um, he would be a really interesting player for them to to add to their attack. Uh, maybe not quite in the Blaze Matweedy category with a player Miami uh, Miami just brought in. But yeah, I I think given Nashville's frailties up top, I think it's absolutely possible that they could bring him in for a look as the season starts to wind down. And then. We're, we're all familiar with this trope where people see the Twin Cities as, as one city and then they name the wrong one if you're an outsider. If you, I've traveled, you know, to New Zealand and, and England and France and Korea. And when you say Minneapolis, those people don't know where Minnesota is. And if you say the Twin Cities or Minneapolis, you know, it's all Minneapolis. They just see everything as Minneapolis. Much to the uh, chip on the shoulder of St. Paulites everywhere. Uh, and so the bossy tweeted, Minneapolis, Minnesota, United States, are you ready? I am that. Uh, and so, I mean, he's ready to come to the Twin Cities. And, of course, who jumps up on, uh, on this tweet but Minneapolis City's main account? They retweet with the comment, the bossy to Minneapolis City confirmed. So, um, you know, if, 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 
you're a St. Paulite or if you're a Minneapolisan, uh, Minneapolisan, you know, just uh, get on the Debasi hype train and, you know, you can appreciate Minneapolis City for their antics one again. Whether you like it or not, it's kind of fun. Can you? No? You can. It's kind of fun, David. It's, yes, to, an, to a certain extent. It's a, it's, at certain points, it gets, um, and I know this is a, an unpopular opinion, but it gets it gets kind of ridiculous. Uh, and, the, and they're fanboys, and we've talked about this. They're, they're fanboys and fangirls that um, uh, just fucking love everything that City does. And I, again, we, you can be critical of a front office and yeah. call them out when they're doing something that's maybe, you know, whatever. City, to, to City's credit, they don't do anything as bad as Minneapolis, as Minnesota United does. Um, they do everything infinitely, uh, you know, infinitely better, but it's still, I just, <laughs> shit like that, I'm just like, eh, you could have just, you didn't have to do that one. You could have just let that one go. But. I would, I would like to give a shout out to Minnesota United's uh, digital and social media teams because where sometimes you feel that Minneapolis City is doing a one-trick pony, or you know they're hitting the nail on the head too much, so that it becomes a countersink. Minnesota United, in a in a shift from previous years, is doing a lot of fan sourcing for some of their slogans rather than trying to push something that some corporate management head, you know, stuck out a slogan, the, the banger. Lunesta. <laughs> like Lunesta. Yes. Like Lunesta. Um, but like the Hassani dots and bangers only they're they're whether it's on stickers or t-shirts or just things that they're tweeting. It's to me, I feel like the social media team is listening to fans. Um, and I, I want to shout that out. I want to give them credit for that. That's fair. Um, cool. All right. So let's jump in um, and talk about what we want to see this week. So as we mentioned, we have uh, FC Dallas uh, here uh, in St. In Paul, Minnesota, not Minneapolis, Minnesota, um, on Wednesday. And then we go to Sporting Kansas City on Sunday. Um, let's quickly, let's talk about there's So there's obviously some – Injury news um, that we didn't know we didn't know before the match last night. Um, Dan mentioned Amari has play, been playing through an ankle injury. Um, he was not in the uh, in the eighteen yesterday, um, and uh, Ethan Finley's injury, which we didn't even realize, um, was this a practice injury? Is that is that what it's or was this something that that happened last week? I think it must have been a practice injury. I mean, he didn't look. He was subbed off at half against Houston with sort of that, that three-man sub that, that yeah. Inchi pulled. Um, but he didn't look hurt. I didn't think he looked particularly gimpy in that game. His legs were a little heavy, but no. I, Inchi said after the game that they are – it's a meniscus injury, uh, and they are worried so worried about the severity of it that the team is looking at bringing in replacements. So that, to me, says it's a pretty gnarly injury, and it probably happened in practice as opposed to in that game. Yeah. Although that said, adrenaline's a hell of a drug, so who knows? <laughs> true, true. So on top of that, we have Ike, who's um, you know, you know, we've we've mentioned, and I, Dan has said, probably be interested if we actually see him again this year. Doesn't I mean I'm not holding out any hope. Although um, Adrian Heath seems to you know say keep saying that it's possible, but you know, again, that was he kept he said that we might see him in the second part of the uh, MLS's back tournament, and that was clearly not going to happen. Um, and then Ozzy, uh, yes, uh, yesterday uh, when came up lame, 
Um, looks like a like looked uh, from the um, we haven't had any confirmation yet, but looks like it's a, it was a hamstring uh, the way he pulled up, uh, and he's out. He's going to be out for at least two to three weeks, I would imagine. I can't imagine that he'll play. So we have a we have a lot of uh, you know potential rotation uh, coming up this week. Is there anything else I, I missed on injuries or or things of that nature? No, those are certainly the big ones. Okay. Um, you know, we, Thomas Jacone was left out of the 18, uh, Houston, apparently that was injury related, but it, you know, he seemed to be well enough to be in the 18, uh, and warming up last night. So he's, he seems to be back. So that being said, um, what's what, you know, we can take these sort of as a, as a whole, uh, FC Dallas works. We're not going to, we're not going to break down Dallas and Sporting Kansas City. Listen to, you know, the last two weeks of podcast. We did just that specifically. Um, we know what these teams are and we know what they'll try to do. Um, what do we want to see for, for, from, from Minnesota United, um, both on Wednesday and Sunday? And Dan, why don't you, uh, why don't you start? I think we do need to see some rotation. Um, I, I don't think there's any way you rotate Robin Lude uh, after his performance last night. Uh, so definitely probably see him on Wednesday. For the, the weekend game, though, I, he's just been racking up a lot of minutes. I'd rotate him for that purpose, um, not for performance reasons. You know, sort of to what I said before the break, I think we need to start seeing this team build the entire lineup in a way that is going to be really attacking-minded. So I would not at all mind seeing Raheem Edwards start on the left. Um, I think we do need to see as much of of, uh, Reynoso as we possibly can. I don't know what his fitness is at this point, but I think you plan for him to go sort of 70 and then maybe sub in Molino. But yeah, I think... For for so much of the first part of this year and all of last year, this team was built. The first names on the team sheet were the back four. I think they need to be the front four going forward. Cool. MJ? I would be fine with starting a, a Ja'Cory Hayes or a Marlon Harrison on the on the right in place of Lude for the midweek game and giving him a week week's rest. But I don't think that's going to happen uh, because he thinks – but I totally agree with Dan that that we need to shift to being more attack focused. I want to see us play Dallas for 90 minutes like we did in the second half of the, of the, of the previous Dallas game. And uh, yes, I think not playing in 106 degree weather heat will, will help us, but that's not the only excuse for how shitty we played in Dallas. So, you know, some more semblance and awareness on defense of what defensive responsibilities are on the back end and maybe going younger and more uh, attack and possession minded um, going forward. Yeah. I mean, the, so the Aussie injury is bad for the midfield and, and for, you know, like, like we talked about earlier, connecting, you know, from the, from that, you know, your third to the, the final third, the other the thing, other thing that is particularly bad about that injury is that it takes away, it takes away some of our depth um, I would love to see Metnir get a rest, but who do you put in for Metnir at this point, right? Like I think it's Dotson, be Dotson. Dotson would be your guy, but Dotson is going to is more than likely going to get the start, um, unless you bring in, um, you know, like a, a Marlon Harrison uh, or James Musa to to play that, um, or Jacory Hayes uh, to, to play that. Yeah, Hayes or Musa would be the more likely. Yeah, um, and yeah, they're na- more natural sixes than. Yeah, so. So that I mean, so the Aussie injury fucks up your your midfield, but it also kind of fucks up your your lack of depth on defense, right? Yes. Um, I think the big question I, that question I have too is is when do we see uh, Bakai Debasi? Um, he was on the bench last night. Obviously, he did not get in. 
Uh, so clearly he's, he's, he's through the uh, COVID protocol. Um, you know, I would, I would love to see him um, get a start, you know, moving, then maybe moving, uh, you know, Boxel over to the right where he is more comfortable. Um, so Debassi next to Chase Gasper um, and Boxel next to Metnir. But I don't know. That's uh, what do you guys think on, on Debassi? I'd love to see him on the pitch. I don't know where he is as far as, uh, you know, the whole game fitness thing, but uh, also shout out to Neil Logan who got the, the Malian flag up um, in Allianz field in time for this game. So uh, yeah. go Molly, but, but uh, yeah, I, I, anytime you have a player signing of that caliber, you know, you fans are, are anxious to see him to get on the pitch, you know, whether he gets substitution minutes or he's ready to start. Uh, you just want to see what he can bring someone who comes from uh Ligue 1 and uh, that sort of experience and that talent level. I want to see him play. <laughs> yeah. I, I hate the idea of subbing out boxy because he is the most consistent member of the defense right now. But at some point, you've got to rotate him, too. You can't count on him to play every minute of every game. And maybe Dallas Dallas at home is, one, it is a game that you want all three points from. But maybe it's also the right game to rotate a little bit. Because you definitely – Boxy needs to be in there against Sporting Kansas City. So I think getting to Bossy some minutes against Dallas uh, kind of allows you to see where his fitness is at and whether he, he can be an option against Kansas City. Yeah. And uh, so – Anything else you guys want to say? Otherwise, because I, I, one thing I, you know, when we talked about before phase one started um, that, you know, we thought that, you know, 10, 10 points would be, uh, would be the bare minimum we want out of this. Now we can't get 10 points. Um, the best we can do is nine points. And that would be getting six points this week against um, Dallas and, and Sporting Kansas city. Um, anything else you guys want to say, or, or should we, uh, should we make some predictions? Alex predicted. All right. Uh, all right. Uh, FC Dallas on Wednesday. Who you guys got? Uh, sadly, I have FC Dallas. I think Alun see this is a vengeance game, and I think they actually come out and play really well in the first half. I think one thing we know Inchi does well is light a fire under teams when there's bulletin board material. He's got more than enough bulletin board material. Uh, I think the Loons do win this game. Some of it is of his own making, apparently. So true. Uh, I yes, I think I think Dallas. I think uh, Minnesota United. Um, I think there's a little bit of rotation. Um, obviously, we have to with uh, Ozzy not being able to start. Um, but I think Debassi gets in. I think this is a good opportunity to see, um, you know, who the hell knows what it's going to be like in sporting in Kansas City on Sunday. It could be hotter than shit. It is Kansas City. Um, who the hell knows? I, I know it's not going to be super hot here. So uh, I think this is a good opportunity to get Debassi some, some game time and, and see what he can do. Um, I think Minnesota wins. This, I think this is actually uh, um, like a three to one Minnesota United victory. So. All right, and then uh, we turn around and go down to, to down I-35 to Sporting Kansas City. Um, MJ, who you got uh, against Sporting on Sunday? For the win? Yeah, who's – yeah. Or uh, I mean, it's soccer. I, they can, they can I, I'm going to I'm going to call this the – as much as uh, Peter Vermees just loves beating Minnesota United, especially in Sporting Can- – in, uh, in Kansas City, uh, Kansas, they – I would – I think this is the revenge game. And I, I say uh, by this time, the whatever new identity or new roster rotation or whatever happens on Wednesday, Minnesota United 
figures things out, kind of finds some footing, and and they get on the right foot in in Kansas City. So I say loons loons win, uh, uh, a close one, two to one. All right, Dan. I think Sporting has a major chip on their shoulder from getting absolutely annihilated by Houston. I think Vermees loves beating Minnesota United more than any other team in the league. I think uh, if Inchi can light a fire under Minnesota United against Dallas, I think Vermees can do the same thing against uh, against Minnesota. So I'm going to say that this is a 3-1, and it's not quite that close, uh, win for Sporting Kansas City. I think this was this one's going to be tough for us to watch. Yeah, uh, you know, Sporting Kansas City hasn't won since they beat us back on uh, August 21st. They got the shit kicked out of them by uh, Houston, drew with Colorado, drew with Dallas, and then uh, got beat by Houston uh, on Saturday. They don't have a midweek game, so they can rest up their players. I think this one, I tend to think that this oh, one ah, is, is not going to be ah. it's not gonna be pretty. So uh, that didn't, that didn't gonna, my, my thoughts. Good point. That's that's very whatever. I'll, I'll, I'll eat it. I, I'm gonna stick with, I'm gonna stick with my pick. Stick with my pick, and I'll eat it if I'm wrong. All right, someone has to be optimistic, MJ. That's uh, it's not gonna be me <laughs> or Dan this week. So, um, so yeah, I think uh, I think this one is like two to nothing. I I think maybe we don't even get a sniff at the goal. So, all right, that brings us to the end of our main podcast. Uh, we're gonna take a short break and then record the EPL podcast. So uh, don't forget to rate and review us uh, wherever you get the podcast, uh, davesiknow.com, patreon.com, slash davesiknow, um, at T-D-I-K-M-N on Twitter. I'm at Texas Eller, Dan's at D Wade. MJ's at MJ Matsui. Bill is still, uh, you know, out in nature, doing nature things. He's at Bill underscore McGuire. We've been the Dave's You Know. This is the Dave's I Know. We have got to try and work it out because we – Oh, no, we can't do nothing at all. Oh, oh, yeah. We do our thing, son. Long as you do yours, land here, become feet, con. Yeah. Uh, we, we do yeah. our thing, son. Through the act, we attract two, hope to reach one. Uh, we, yeah. we, we do our thing. Do it. We do our thing, son. Some will paint a piece, some will spray with a machine gun. It's mad work to be done. We, we, we do our thing, son. Y'all know we can't do nothing at all. Y'all know we can't do nothing at all.